Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Now, last time we looked at the first 12 verses and saw how God through Solomon encourages the people of the Lord to take up those opportunities for learning true wisdom. Opportunities that come through the parents God sets in our lives and, and those uh, other individuals who have authority over us. Opportunities that come through faith, through trusting in the Lord. And opportunities that come even in the midst of chastening as the Lord uh, corrects us for wrongdoing. Well now beginning in verse 13, continuing through verse 26... We're going to see the rich blessing that comes to those who do that, who take up the wisdom that God offers to them. So beginning in verse 13, Solomon writes, Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all things that you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the depths were broken up, and clouds dropped down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Brothers and sisters, beloved of God in Christ, we live in a consumer-oriented society. In other words, consumerism, the buying and selling of goods, really drives the society in which we live. And so advertisements absolutely bombard us on every side. They're on the television, obviously, and in the newspaper, but also on our computer screen as we surf the web, in the emails we retrieve. They're on roadside billboards and on t-shirts and, well, they're even in the grocery store. We see them on the billboards and on the windows in the grocery store and on the back of our receipts. Advertisements surround us with a message of health and wealth and happiness. Buy these shoes and your feet will absolutely sing. Buy this outfit and you'll look like a movie star. Work for this company. Get this music. Eat this food and it will bring you success. It will bring you popularity. It will bring you happiness. That ultimately is the message of the advertisements that surround us. They sell everything from razor blades to new homes, but the message they put before us is happiness. Happiness, happiness, happiness. This is what will fulfill you. This is what will satisfy you. Thing is, ultimately, none of it is true. None of it is effective. The shoes may fit just fine, but if you run a few miles, it's still going to hurt. 
The car may drive like a dream, but ultimately it's just a means of conveying you from point A to point B. And no matter what toothpaste you buy, no matter what clothes you wear, what college you attend, you will still be you. And the problems of life will not automatically disappear. True happiness is not obtained by anything we can buy on the store or get on the internet or order through the television. But true happiness can be obtained if you know where to look. And that ultimately is what this text is about. Here we learn that true happiness, true blessing ultimately is not bought in a store, is not obtained by men. True happiness is what we obtain from God through the wisdom that He supplies. It is the possessor of wisdom, true wisdom from God, who obtains otherworldly blessing. That's our theme. Wisdom's possessor obtains otherworldly blessing. And Solomon, in proclaiming this truth, he begins by calling his son and by calling us to desire wisdom's rich reward. We're not going to seek it out. We're not going to obtain it. We're not going to do the work that it requires to get it if we don't first desire the reward that it brings. So that's the first message we find here that we're to desire wisdom's rich reward. The heart of the advertisement we find right at the very start. Happy is the man. That lies. That message right there lies at the heart of every advertisement we see in society, doesn't it? Men do all sorts of crazy things. They pay exorbitant prices. They endure unimaginable challenges for the sake of happiness. Now some translations render that blessed. Blessed is the man. But this is not the typical Hebrew word for blessing. This is the word that, that describes not so much that which is given as the, the experience of receiving. The joy that we receive when we obtain that blessing. So happy is a very helpful rendering of this word. That man is happy. That man rejoices who finds wisdom and who gains understanding. He finds wisdom. Whether he went out searching for an understanding of God and His truth or he stumbled into the wisdom of God. Either way, wisdom has come to him. And as we've seen, wisdom is that which we gain when we learn to understand the world and to face the world with our eyes upon God, with our faith in the Lord. Such a person gaining wisdom gains understanding. He has learned how to understand the world rightly, which is what comes to those who see the world through the, through the lens, if you will, of their faith in Christ. They understand aright because they see how all the world points us to God through Christ. So then, these who are happy, these who have true joy in life, they have gained wisdom which leads them to true understanding. They start studying the world by recalling who made the world in the first place. They recognize that there is no true understanding apart from submission to God through Christ. And folks, let's be clear right here at the start that this is about Christ. The fear of the Lord, the true God, is the beginning of knowledge according to the first chapter of this book. 
And if it is the beginning of knowledge, then it must be the beginning also of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the Lord, the true God, is the triune God. He is the Father who created and keeps us. He is the Son who redeems all those who come to God. He is the Holy Spirit who converts and keeps us in fellowship with the Lord. When Jesus came among us, He came as the embodiment of the wisdom of God, as the living Word become flesh. He is the power of God, the mercy of God, the holiness of God in one. So if we would know happiness, true happiness, then we must know above all else, we must know Christ. And if we do know Christ, the reward that He brings us, if we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the reward He provides is rich indeed. It's not the rewards this world seeks. Notice that. There's nothing in here about having the biggest house on the block, the newest car among your friends, the biggest, fattest bank account, the greatest, most seriously producing investment. No, no. There's none of that in this description of reward. Because Solomon understood at this point when he was writing this that true happiness isn't found in amassing the most toys, the most riches, the most wealth. True happiness is not located in the things merely of this world. True happiness goes beyond to the things that are less tangible. If we know Christ, the reward that He brings us begins with wisdom itself. Wisdom, He says, Her proceeds are better than profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. Proceeds and gain, that's what you get when you invest, when you work hard, when you seek to grow that which has been entrusted to you. Now silver and gold have really for most of the history of mankind been understood as a measure of profit. If your profit, if your work, if your labor brings you silver, that's valuable. And if it brings you gold, that's more valuable yet. But he says that wisdom is more valuable even than these. Wisdom is more valuable than that which we use to measure riches. In fact, it's better also than rubies, more precious than rubies. That word is rendered in many translations as jewels because it's kind of a vague word. It could be rubies, it could be coral, we're not quite positive. The point is that it's something rare, precious, deeply desirable and beautiful. The most beautiful jewels of this world cannot be compared with the riches that come to us in wisdom. In fact, he says, all the things you may desire cannot compare with her, regardless of what it is that you desire. Young people hear this well. It doesn't matter what you desire of this world, what magazines you read, what pictures you drool over, the things that you have set on your desire list, none of it can compare with the the blessing that comes to you, the happiness that can be found in the wisdom of God. Wisdom is superior to all of it. And the reward that it brings is not limited to those things that we can touch and taste and buy. 
Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Length of days, long life. Because the wisdom of God ultimately brings us not just long life here on earth, but eternal life in the heavens. It brings us riches and honor. Read the descriptions at the end of Revelation about the new heavens and the new earth. Their very streets are paved with gold. That which we find to be rare and precious in this world is as common as the dust of the earth, as asphalt to us. Because the Lord, the Lord loves the people who gain wisdom. The Lord delights in them. He gives them the honor of calling them His sons and His daughters. And telling them that He delights in them. Wisdom holds this in its right hand and in its left. It has the ability to convey to you eternal life and riches that make everything in this world pale by comparison. And the honor of knowing God as your beloved Father. Surely her ways are ways of pleasantness. There is no delight that exceeds the delight that comes to those who gain wisdom because we have reconciliation with God and all the riches that come with those who have become the heirs of God with Christ Jesus. And our future is peace. All her paths, the paths of wisdom are peace. That's not just talking about the lack of conflict. That's talking about true peace. Peace with God and peace with men. Indeed, verse 18 tells us, for those who desire her rewards, wisdom is a tree of life. Imagine that, a tree of life. What God prohibited when man first embraced sin. The gift that would enable man to enjoy the blessings of God endlessly. Through wisdom is restored to us. Wisdom is a tree of life. A return to blessed communion with God. Here we see clearly that wisdom personified is none other than Jesus Christ. Because He is the one who provides life to all who take hold of Him. Jesus Himself said in John chapter 5, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Jesus alone can provide life eternal, life abundant, life without end. You know, it's interesting that verse 13 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And then verse 18 says that wisdom is a tree of life. Because what verse 13 literally says is, happy is Adam, who finds wisdom. That's the word for man, Adam. It reminds us that what what Adam lost, I mean, what was his sin? Was his sin not forsaking the wisdom of God, the wisdom of honoring Him? Believing Him, trusting Him, and choosing instead, foolishly, to seek to establish His own wisdom. That's the heart of folly, right? To seek to establish our own wisdom rather than receiving the wisdom of God. To trust in ourselves rather than trusting in Christ. That's what Adam lost. That's what we lost in Adam. But those who take hold of the wisdom of God in Christ 
They receive all that Adam lost. They receive the tree of life and all the blessings of God that are encompassed in it. My friends, this is what you must desire above all else. Happy indeed are all who retain her, that is, wisdom. The blessing that God describes in this passage, it is far greater. Children, hear this. The wisdom that is described in this passage is far greater than any experience, any possession, anything that this world can offer you. But you must desire it. You must cherish it. You must hold tight to that which God has set before you. And He has set it before every one of you. Because He has set before you this day the gospel. But again, it doesn't come automatically. It's not yours simply because you were born into a covenant home. It is not yours simply because you're an American. It is not yours simply because you're sitting in those pews today and you've dressed up nicely and combed your hair. It belongs to those only who desire deeply the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of God that is encompassed in Christ. Children, young people, you must crave the blessing that God desires here. If you don't, if you set your sights on the things of this world, on riches, on reputation, on any of that, it's not wrong to seek after a job that you enjoy or to seek to provide for your family. But if that is what consumes your heart, if that's what you fall asleep thinking about and wake up dreaming of, then you have set your sights infinitely too low. You must set your heart on the treasures, the riches of wisdom. Not sports, not friends, not pastimes that pass away. Not the thrill of that beautiful girl or that strong man. Not money or fame or whatever stuff fills your heart. Those things aren't inherently bad, but this is what must consume you. This is what you must deeply crave. You must desire what the wisdom of God alone can provide. Now the question for us is, how do we hold on to the wisdom of God in Christ? That first section ends, happy are all who retain her, all who hold fast to this wisdom. We find that wisdom in the gospel. We find that wisdom right here in God's Word. But how do we hold on to it? How do we retain it? Well, that's what we find in our second section. We're called to study wisdom's wondrous works. He starts here by pointing, pointing to how the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. In the creation week, God laid the foundations of the world that has become our home. He designed it all to be and to work in the way that it does. And He designed it well. All of its systems work beautifully in concert with each other. Even despite the brokenness of sin, there are systems upon systems upon systems that all work the way God designed so that it can all be built up and strengthened and can persist. It's, it's funny how man, when he rejects the wisdom of God, gets all overwrought and worked up over how he has to manage the world. And we are called to exercise dominion over the world. But we're not God. We're not called to reimagine it. All the, the hoopla that we hear about global warming and climate change. It's like little children trying to troubleshoot a supercomputer. 
God designed the world with a climate that's largely self-regulating. It goes through periods of flux with warmer periods and cooler periods. But we focus on, on two or three greenhouse gases without even understanding the effect that all of the other gases within the atmosphere have on the regulation of the temperature of the world without paying any attention, barely, to how the oceans and the polar ice packs serve as heat sinks that regulate the temperature of the world without really even understanding the full impact of solar storms and solar flares on our climate. The Lord established all of those with perfect wisdom. And we, like little children, struggle even to understand them, much less to manage them. And that includes not just the world, but the heavens. By His understanding, He established the heavens, the sun and moon, the planets and the stars, the universe and all that is beyond them. God established them. God set them all in motion. And God uses them all with perfect wisdom to bless us. And folks, all of this, every last bit of this, was the work of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And therefore everything that was made by His hand testifies to Christ, reveals His glory and His wisdom. And not only did He make it all, but in His good timing, by His knowledge, the depths were broken up. Folks, this refers to the great flood. In Genesis 7, we read, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. And the windows of the heavens were opened. The terms that we find there and in our passage are identical. He was the one who broke up the great deep. He was the one who sent waters cascading over the world. And why did He do it? Why did He send those flood waters? The earth was corrupt before God and the world was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In God's wisdom, not only did He make the world, but He in a sense destroyed it in the flood. As a precursor, to the ultimate destruction that will come upon all who are ungodly and all the fruits of their ungodliness in the end. This too is the wisdom of God who knows how to create and who knows also how to cleanse and to redeem and renew. And in the meantime, as we await that final cleansing, the clouds drop down the dew. God is the one who sustains the world in which we live. He sends the rain in its season and also the sun to bring forth the plants. He sends the cold in the winter to break down the clods in the field and to prepare the earth for new sowing. And then He sends the warmth that a new growing season might be upon us. Even the seasons themselves testify to the wisdom of God. As winter 
brings the dormancy of death, but then spring brings that new life that testifies to the resurrection of Christ. This is the the ongoing providential work of God which reveals the wisdom of Christ. Brothers and sisters, what this tells us is that we are surrounded by that which testifies to the wisdom of God. All we need to do is look. And so Solomon writes, My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. We must study that which God has done. Not only His crowning work of salvation in Christ, but also His foundational works of creation and ordering. Of judgment and providing. We must study it all because as we study His wise works, we come to know God. We come to know what He's like. We come to know what He cherishes. We come to know what He hates. As we study the works of God, we learn who He is and what He is like all the more truly. We cherish Him. We grow closer to Him. Our love for Him grows. Our trust in Him deepens. And if we do that, then that wisdom itself becomes our reward, becomes our delight. It becomes life to your soul and grace to your neck. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, you must study well the wisdom and the ways of our God because as you do that, you take hold of and you retain this wisdom God has given you. Children and young people, It is so very easy to scorn exactly this. Especially because all of your classmates and all of your friends are doing it. Oh, I hate going to school. I hate studying. I wish we could just just spend our day playing this game or that game on the computer. Or spend time with my friends or just hang out. And you know what? That stuff's fun. But this is an honor. This is a privilege God has given you. To study the world that He has made. And to do so, especially under the tutelage, under the the teaching of those who are wise and godly themselves. Don't underestimate the blessing that is yours to have parents who love the Lord and teachers who love the Lord, who are teaching you to understand the world in the light of the Word. Cherish that. That's a treasure. That's a gift that has been given you. And you teachers and parents... Don't forget that that is your calling. It doesn't matter what your your job is, what career God has led you to, what work God has set in your life. There's always a temptation to kind of take it for granted. But you have been given, if you're a teacher or if you're a parent, parents, remember the teachers are merely your substitutes, your subcontractors, if you will. So if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, this is your calling To set before your children the wisdom of God that is found in the world. So do that. When you're teaching them chemistry, show them how God created all of these chemical compounds, all of these substances to work together in such amazing ways so as to bring forth other substances and compounds. When When you're teaching them about mathematics, show them. How God is an orderly God and a God who is trustworthy so that these formulas and these patterns always recur. As you're teaching them history, show them how God has been orchestrating all things so as to allow for the spread of His kingdom throughout all the world. When you're teaching them literature, show them how God has designed language 
so that through it we can convey ideas and concepts and even emotions to other people. Teach them to look for God in every subject and help them to see that the Bible is the underlying foundational textbook for every single thing that we study, that it sets forth the principles without which there is no wisdom. And you who are older, do not forsake this study of the world. You're never too old to learn, never too old to study. And as you do, you will cherish not just the wisdom you gain, but the God that it reveals. Let us study with wonder the works of our God that surround us. Because if we do cherish wisdom, and if we do study the wisdom that surrounds us, we will be preserved perfectly. And that's the last thing we see here. We, we are protected by wisdom's faithful Father. Notice the variety in the descriptions of God's protecting work that we find in this section. You will walk safely in your way as God leads you away from the path of temptation, as He protects you from the snares of the evil one. Your foot will not stumble. That's what happens when we're tired, right? When we're weary. When we're heading home after three busy days at tulip time, we tend to stumble. But the Lord is the strength that we need. He is the one who lifts us up and carries us onward when we're not able When you lie down, you will not be afraid. We're in a world that is surrounded by enemies. And when you're in a place that's surrounded by enemies, sleep is dangerous. Because when you sleep, you have no forewarning. When you sleep, you're not prepared for the attacks. But God is the one who never sleeps, who never slumbers, who watches over us every moment of every day of our lives. Therefore, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet Your sleep will be sweet because you're not fearing, you're not worrying, you're not wondering who will attack. But your sleep will also be sweet because as you walk in the paths of wisdom, as you follow after the ways of Christ, your conscience stops bothering you. You stop worrying if you've covered your tracks well enough, if you've managed to hide your sins from those whom you love. Sudden terror will not afflict you. Because you know that God is the one who's in charge of everything. That no one can attack you. No one can cause terror apart from His will. And so whatever comes against you, it is under His control. And therefore He says, you will not fear trouble from the wicked when it comes. There will be trouble from the wicked. This is no prosperity gospel, no health and wealth kind of thing. Solomon is realistic. He knows there will be trouble. He knows there will be trials. But he knows that we have no need to fear because we walk in the way of wisdom and the Father of wisdom protects us. In short, brothers and sisters, possessing the wisdom of God through faith in Christ gives us every confidence because we know that God is able to protect us and keep us no matter what we face. And we know that He desires to do so because He wouldn't have sent Christ to save us if He didn't. Therefore, no one can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ. No one can cause you to fear, to worry, to doubt. We can have peace, confident in God's protection because wisdom teaches us to trust God Himself. The Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. It is not man or beast, not system or philosophy, not doctrine or even the church that we trust. It is God and God alone. The God who 
chose us before the beginning of time, the God who delivers us from every evil, the God who in Christ reconciled us, even though we deserved our Father's wrath, the God who is always present with us, caring for us, directing us, guiding us in every situation. Brothers and sisters, it is this confidence that Jesus secured for us. He urges us in Matthew 10, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You are immensely valuable to God, so valuable. That for the elect, for those whom he has chosen, God sent his son to suffer the very pangs of hell. There is no greater value than that. Will he now allow the lesser things of this world to lead you astray? To harm you ultimately? Of course not. In fact, in fact, this very moment, We have one interceding for us in heaven. Uh, Hebrews 7 tells us, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice to save us. He rose from the dead to secure our resurrection. And now He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, ensuring that every last detail that we need is is given to us, is provided for us. It comes to us, brothers and sisters, simply to take hold of that wisdom that saves us, that keeps us, and that will never let us go. Trust in Christ to protect you perfectly according to the will of your faithful Father. Build your trust by studying the wondrous works that God has done with which He has surrounded you and motivate your study by desiring deeply the rich reward that comes through wisdom in Christ. My friends, do not believe the advertisements that surround you. Happiness does not come from that which you buy. It does not come from that place where you go. It does not come from anything produced by mere men. Happiness comes from God and from Him alone through the embodied wisdom of Christ. So look to Him. Learn from Him. And you will obtain blessing that is otherworldly through the wisdom He bestows. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank You and we praise You that You bless us so perfectly in Christ. Grant that we might trust in Him truly And that we might never fear, never doubt, never worry, knowing that all things gather together in Christ. That He is the head of all things. And that He is turning all things for our good. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.